Individual therapy can be such a rewarding process. Unfortunately, a lot of people reject it because they're afraid of the unknown. I am Naya B, therapist, author, speaker, educator, and influencer, and I welcome you to do individual therapy with me. Take this journey and listen as unfiltered and unscripted brave souls heal and share their stuck points. My hope is that someone listening can relate to their stories and get a perspective on how real therapy takes place. Who knows? Maybe one day decide to get some therapy of their own. But when you do, though, just come do it with me, Naya B. What's up, everybody? You are back for another session of Doing It With Naya B. It is your girl, Naya B. And we have been talking about comebacks and setbacks and setbacks and comebacks. And so today I have someone who wants to come and do it with Naya B. Her name is Missy. What's up, Missy? Hey, Naya B. How are you? I am well. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on your show. No problem. I was kind of intrigued by, you know, a comment that you had left on one of my Facebook posts. And I was like, I got to talk to her. I got to have her on the show because I want to know, you know, like what has gone on in this process that I think a lot of people go through. So for those of you who are listening, let me give you a little background. So I made a post about um, I think I was talking um, about things that people do to get you back. Like, I think I was, I think the post was about the the worst thing, well, above and beyond things that exes have done to get you back. I think that was the post. I could be wrong, but Missy came on and left a comment um, just about, you know, she had took back someone um, who was cheating and she did it a few times. So I was like, whoa, I want to, I want to talk about that because I think a lot of people, not just women, but men too, they set themselves back by constantly forgiving someone who's not in their best interest, whether it be cheating, whether it be emotional abuse, physical abuse, and then they have this comeback. So what I do know just a little bit about Missy's story is that she's had some comebacks, but before that comeback, she had, you know, she had a you know situation where she kind of forgave a cheater over and over again. So I want to hear oh more about God. that. Yes, I did, Naya. And now I'm like the biggest proponent for women and men. Don't go back. This is the thing. So I was um, involved in a 15 year uh, marriage and it was constant cheating. The very first time it happened was two years into the relationship. And during those two years, we're newlyweds, no children. I was very content and happy. I ended up getting pregnant and things were a little off. So we all know when they got that intuition where you kind of know something is going on, his behavior changed. Of course, he denied it. Um, but then eventually he confessed. I didn't find out by any means. He told me while we was sitting in the car, you know, I've been seeing this other woman, blah, blah, blah. And this happened to be a woman that I had known. She had been in my house. So I did what most people do. Um, I was angry. Um, I left for a couple of days. And eventually um, I went right back. And it's funny because the way that he got me back, we were involved in a very religious um, organization. And so he had three of the, no, two of the pastors come over. No, it was three. He had three of them come over. They sat at our house and they told me about Samson, Solomon, Adam, how women were all their demise. <clears throat> and basically men can't help themselves. So even throughout this jargon, which I feel like is ridiculous because it put the onus on me and not him and what he did, I still took him back. After I took him back, he cheated again the very next year. 
took him back after I uh, burned his clothes, you know, things we do, left, still took him back. And so my thing is, once I left that relationship, Naya, I realized something. When I looked at my circle of friends, and you probably can look at your circle too, most women and men in, in my circle is zero, never leave the person that cheated on them one time. <laughs> never. They always go back. They go back to try to make it work. And when I say they never leave, I mean the first time around. Eventually we all, I shouldn't say we all, but eventually most of us do leave. And in this instance, I took them back. And my thought process was I have children, we have property, all of these things, quote unquote, that I could potentially lose. Not realizing that me staying in this relationship is only teaching my daughter and my son at the time that this is okay. This behavior is okay. I'm recycling this idea into them. And so eventually we divorced and I moved on. But yeah, I think that this is an issue. And I think, you know, if you look at your circle, do you find that the people who are your close friends or your close circles, that they end up going back to these same relationships and then it ends up happening again, even with the trust. I think that people in general, whether it's cheating or whether it's, like I said, it could be drug use, it could be any type of maladaptive behavior, right? I think, especially if you have a value of marriage, you know, a lot of people, they'll say, okay, well, this is a marriage, you know what I'm saying? Sort of like what you did. And they say, I'm not going to leave. You know, I'm not going to um, just jeopardize, you know, what I have built with this family because there's other people involved, not just you. You know, you do think about the kids or you think about um, other people involved and you're like, I don't want to just let this all go. And I think that initially that's a lot of people's thought process in a marriage, because I know when I was in my marriage, cheating was not a deal breaker for me. That it just wasn't. And it wasn't because. um it wasn't because I felt disrespected. It wasn't because I feel like because people do have their process and I married somebody six years younger than me. So I kept saying, OK, well, he needs to grow. He needs to mature. And then the people he had around him didn't quite value marriage in that way. So um, so I think initially we all will think with our hearts or think with what we want, not necessarily what's, you know, not necessarily what's what's best for our mental health, but what we want, if that makes sense. And I think a lot of people make that decision, not just, you know, men, not just women. I think people make those decisions. We do it with our friends. You know, if our friends betray us or if they do something wrong, we'll take time and say, well, I love this person. This is my friend. They didn't mean well. We don't realize that it's hurting us until we're losing sleep, not eating. We can't function. We can't focus. We can't do much. And that's when we're like, this is not OK. This is not healthy. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say just even in my circle of friends, I was just say with everybody I know, <laughs> anybody I know, we've all loved somebody or been with someone that we probably should have left the first time around after the first mistake or the first mishap. But we didn't because we had what we wanted in mind. So it's like in your situation, you say, hey, I, you know, we have these properties together. We have all this together. We have all you had your reasons for why you stay. But at some point, it sounded like you were like, OK, this is this is repetitive. This is no longer about a mistake. This is about now, a character it, flaw. Exactly. It got so repetitive. I knew what time of year would happen. Really? Like, oh, September. Yes. Like, oh, September. I'm like, it's about that time. And so eventually I started, you know, engaging and cheating. I'm like, well, you're going to do it. I could do it better. That's not healthy. Even the idea of saying that, because I've heard people say that, well, he cheated. Shit, both of us can do this. And my take on that is then you're not in a, a, a monogamous relationship. 
Right. Because now it becomes tit for tat. So that's not healthy either, which is why I say if they start off cheating, then it's best to walk away. And this is why I understand that marriage is sacred. I know I I was raised in the same. I I know the same scriptures. A man must leave his mother and stick to his wife and they become one flesh. I know this. What ends up happening once that seed is placed of distrust is you no longer trust the person. I don't care how much therapy you do. I don't care how much talking and praying to God you do. Again, I've done that. And I have friends who have done that. You will always think in the back of your mind, this could recur. So what you end up doing, what I ended up doing, which what I watch my circle. And when you talk about friends, you can even bring it as far as employment. What you end up doing is always looking around like, what are you at? Where are you going? What you doing? And subconsciously, you may just be wanting to know if they're at the mall, but subconsciously, you know, this person can possibly go that extra distance. So you're wondering, you're looking through their phone. Now, I need your code. We don't have we don't have secrets in this marriage. And it's like, yeah, but you're uncomfortable. You're constantly checking and looking and mm-hmm. And that's unhealthy. And then when I look at who our role models are in the in the um, industry, um, I don't know if this is okay to say on your show, but I look at the top role models that we look at. Beyonce, okay? I'm not saying Beyonce is my role model, but she is globally known. And she has a global story of what happened within her marriage, whether that's for publicity or not, it is assumed that based on what they put out, Jay-Z cheated on her. Whether she cheated on him or not, we don't know. And from the view, she took him back. So Beyonce, the most powerful, uh, richest icon out there, known, will take back a cheater, then why wouldn't I? Now, we're not thinking that, but it's subconsciously fed to us and, and so many others that have done that. And my thing is... You're saying that the message that society puts out, whether it's with public figures or whether it's with people next door, is that cheating is okay, And people start to believe that. And then they will take that into their own households and their marriages and relationships. And you're saying that what the reality is, is that if you take back a cheater, you're going to always feel that insecurity It creates an insecurity, you know, and I I think cheating is a form of trauma. Actually, you know, um, it can be very traumatic. It can create a relationship um, post traumatic relationship syndrome. And it, mm-hmm. and those are some of the, the, the symptoms that you talked about, the constantly checking or the looking around or the, you know, not believing that he is where he says he is or being hypervigilant. Like even if they're not cheating in the moment, you still feel like they are because you've been in that situation for so long. And that's what happens when you're in relationships that are emotionally abusive. You do develop, you know, a sense of, um, trauma, you do develop symptoms, you know, of insecurities and constantly questioning and sometimes being paranoid about it. Sometimes just kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't do much for your mental health to stay with someone who's now shown you who they are. But I will say that leaving the first time around is hard for a lot of people because people will say, oh, they make mistakes or people just human. I mean, I've been guilty of that. I've had people forgiving me, you know, forgive me for doing foul stuff. And at the end of the day, it's up to that person on whether or not they want to do better, whether or not they want to be better, whether they want to grow, whether they want to, you know, and it's not even about who you're with because people will say, well, what did you do? Did you love them? Right. Did you give them enough? Did you do this? It's like, girl, whatever. No, men cheat because they want to cheat. People cheat because they want to cheat. It has nothing to do with what I'm giving you or, or you're giving you or whatever. It's about 
that person and what they want to do. And it sounds like he didn't want to. When I mean he, I mean your ex-husband. It doesn't sound like he was ready to be monogamous. Oh, oh girl, no. He was in fact, we have a cordial relationship and he sent me a message that his goals in life are to travel, um, to make a lot of money and have a harem. I hadn't even heard the word harem. I had to look it up. <laughs> have a harem of women. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Do you? So that was something that was always in him and having a monogamous relationship with um, any woman, whether it be me or anything, just wasn't in his, in his character. So it doesn't matter how much 360 I do, how much, you know, fellatio, it did not matter mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because this is what this person is going to do. And to your point, when you said, okay, well, I don't think people will, uh, it's very hard for them to leave after the first time. And that to me is because, And I do know that scientifically love sends the same signals as drugs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So love is Mm -hmm. a drug. I know songs say love is a drug. It it really is. Mm -hmm. So most people take them back because at the end of the day, they want their drug back. They're not thinking about fixing the problem. I mean, we have a conversation here or there, but I just want my drug back. After you haven't been on any type of addictive drug, anybody has been addicted to any type of substance, be alcohol, um, cocaine, meth, whatever, you know that once you're off of it for a while, you fiend it for it. You don't care what you got to do to get it back. You have withdrawal. So I think initially when he did, you know, cheat, my thing was, oh my God, I'm done. I'm done with this coke. I'm done with this meth. And then after a couple of days, oh, I need my meth back. I need it back. You know? Mm-hmm. And so you go back, but you know, you still have the, the trauma, but I, at least I got my drug back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what addictive behaviors. That's what addictive behaviors are. That's what they do. That's how we, you know, manipulate ourselves um, into thinking we need something that we really don't need. We tell ourselves that. And I think when we think about the language that we use, even when we are with people, you listen to songs, you listen to I need you. I got to have you. I you know, it's like mm, you want it. And that's what we need to start saying. Like, I want you. And I chose you and this is optional or, you know, but when you start telling yourself people are mandatory or when you start putting yourself in these positions to see people as property or possessions, that means that you've now created these words or these contingencies of codependency. When you tell somebody Mm. you need them or you have to have them or they must be around, you know, Um, and what happens is we forget that we could actually live without these people. We forget that we forget that we were complete whole people before they came into our lives with routines and things that we did. We were sleeping at night. We were eating well. So what happened that now that this person is here, you can't function. You can't sleep, can't eat, can't do anything. And that's the scary part about letting someone in your life and giving them complete control and giving them complete access in that way. And I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't love people. But what I am saying is that we should love people in the way that we love ourselves. And at some point when them people begin to hurt us, we need to be our first line of defense against the mistreatment and the disrespect. And a lot of times we don't, we give our lives to people. And that's why I think the biggest the biggest problem is in relationships is that we give so much of ourselves to another individual, to man, like what, (laughs) you know, and we don't think in that way. We don't necessarily think about it. We just say, if we give them our best, if we do this, if we do that, we show up, we make sure we are, you know, front and center, then this person will maybe give me what I need in return. This person will love me back. This person will be there for me and we can just be together forever. Mm No, you got to you got to love yourself and pour into yourself first. And, you know, which brings me to my next question. So now that you 
you know, are out of that situation. You woke up, you say, hey, I don't I don't want this drug anymore. I want to rehab. I'm going to get you out of my system. <laughs> right, I right. am done with the dope. Right. You say, up, I love it. What you say? Up with hope, down with I dope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm done with this. Crack is whack. I'm not doing this. And so <laughs> you, you, you sound done. So tell me about the decision making process when it comes to dating after that. What was that like for you? So that- it's so funny because I wanted to um, transition to that because from that point, I did start to date. And Naya, this probably can go on and on and on. So I'm trying to, I'm going to try to make it as succinct as possible. One of the things I started to do after I did my therapy, because it is important, um, I will state, because I know you're a therapist, so you probably already talk about this. Before I started dating after my ex-husband, when I started dating seriously, I had to complete therapy and I went through therapy and I wanted to make sure that I was good and I wasn't trying to rebound off of him. So that was the most important thing to me. Now, that doesn't mean that as soon as we broke up, I didn't start sleeping with men. I did. And I went out, but I was very open with them. And I told them, hey, if my ex calls me right now, I'm going to leave you. And they, they were cool with it. And I was like, okay. And so when I finally decided to get serious, we finally decided that we were going to go forward with the divorce. I grieved. I went through therapy, got myself healed. And then I started looking. I did not want to replace him. I wanted a clean eye. Um, Also, when I started dating, I wanted to make sure that I was sexually satisfied. So I didn't want to go on a date and trick myself into liking this person because I was horny. So I kept the vibrator, a couple of them. And I also had a human vibrator who it was a guy and I knew and I'm like, okay, this is all I need for because I want to be able to have a clear head when I go out on Saturday. And I was going out on like three dates a week, maybe even more. It was like a lot. And one of the things that I would look for was, um, are they built? And what I mean by that is built emotionally. So one of the errors that I made with my first marriage, I was very young um, and so was he is we were not built. So we came with a lot of emotional baggage, hoping that we would fill each other patches. So I had mommy issues. He had mommy and daddy issues. He had um, insecurity about his size. He also had um, issues about abandonment. That was really big. So it's like, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. That's what he threw on to me. And then me with my abuse from my mom, I'm like, please don't hurt me. Please don't, be, you know, so we're trying to patch each other holes up. Instead, we should have went to therapy. So we came built already. So the first thing I will look at when I would date is how much codependency does this man want from me? Is he built? So if he came like, man, you know, um, I'm working on trying to get this job. And it's like, no, you need to have that already. I can't go back into helping someone build, especially, you know, I'm almost 40. So at this point, I feel like you should, you should have been there for a few years. So that would already be a flag. Another thing is built emotionally. If I kept hearing him talk about his ex, or if I kept hearing him talking about issues with his family, and it's like, okay, you need to get those things together. I can't fix those holes for you. The third thing was temperament. So it's one thing to be angry. Have you ever been angry at your friends? It's like, okay, girl, like we get it together. Or you've seen somebody angry and they throw things or they ghost and they don't handle it correctly. So I will look at temperament. You know, why are you flying off the handle? Because I didn't respond back to a text maybe 20 minutes. Okay, that's a sign to me. And what I discovered, because I dated like 60 guys, what I discovered during this process is that most of them 
were not built emotionally. They hadn't done the the work on their mind and they were going to project that onto me. So I'm like, what was the point of leaving my ex just to go back into another series of, you know, emotional projections onto me? And some of the guys would come back, Naya, I'm not joking. And they would say, no, I know we could be together. I know it like you, this and this. And I'm like, yeah, we cool, but we won't make it three months. So I'm saving you three months of your time. I'm telling you in three months, we're going to be done. Like I thought this high is over with. It's going to be over because you have this issue. And I know I can't deal with that. You don't handle anger well. You just went off. I had one guy tell me, oh my goodness, y'all ready for this? I had one guy tell me. So I'm, I'm really big with uh, equal rights or whatnot. So if you are homosexual, trans, I don't care. That's your life. You ain't hurting me. And um, that usually stems with something when it's a lot of hatred towards a group. So I have this one guy, super fine. I mean, tall. He could dance. Very attracted to him. I'm into this dude, right? And I start to think, you know, I know how men are, especially black men, when it comes to gay guys. So I mentioned something about uh, Nas, uh, Nas X, I think that is that his name, Lil Nas, mm-hmm, or the mm-hmm. one. I mentioned something about him, like, oh, he came up on my feet. What you think about him? Just I wanted to get his view on this. And he was just like, oh, you know, in my country, because he's Nigerian, they get hanged for that. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty awful. You get hanged for wanting to be a, you know, being gay. And he was just like, yeah. And I said, well, how do you feel about it? He had a six-year-old son. And he told me, my son bet not come to me and tell me he's gay. He bet not. Oh, okay. I was like, why not? No, no. And I said, so your son can't talk to you about this? No. Now, I looked at that as a red flag. And some of my friends like, well, you know, and I'm like, no, see, this is what happens when you ignore these red flags, they blow up. If your son is not comfortable with talking to you about being gay, then what does that mean for my son, who I don't know if he's gay or not? That means he can't talk to the person that's in my life. Also, where does this stem from? He still wanted to have a connection with me, but I told him, I said, we won't last. We won't last a month. I'm just, I'm just saving your time. So I think part of the process in making a great relationship is really ending it before it starts, you know, not being so desperate to just be with someone or not, you know, I know we get lonely, but not being in such a hurry just to attach ourselves to someone that we ignore all of these little things in the beginning. It sounds like what you're what you're speaking on is just the concept of being equally yoked, you know, and having your principles and values line up. And a lot of times we don't pay attention to the fact that our principles and values don't line up. We just start to think that we can either mold, shift or get through it or make it work, even though this person has told us your values and my values are not the same. And so we're like, okay, we'll just go through it anyway. And maybe at some point we'll figure this out. And it sounds like even with his, you know, how he feels, you know, religiously or just his culture, and he says, hey, this is a big deal in my culture. And you're like, well, hey, in my culture is not. So I need to make sure that in, in my culture, that the people in my, my household are, are feeling safe enough to be whoever they decide to be. And you're saying that because your culture, you know, is strongly feels strongly against something that my family wouldn't feel safe in the event that they decided to discuss such a topic. So it sounds like what you're saying is you look for uh, signs that you could be equally yoked. You look for things that say this, this is going to work. We can actually make this work. And in addition to that, you know, you want to see a person in their all in all their seasons when they're happy, sad, angry, you know, that's where the temperament comes in. You're like, I want to know if this person is not just makes me feel good, but are we compatible? 
And those are the things that you've been looking at as you go forward in your journey uh, when it comes to dating people. But but Naya, also vice versa. So this is what I'm looking for in them. Yeah, but it's also with me too. For Mm -hmm. example, I met a really nice guy and he, a principal, getting getting his uh, doctorate to be a superintendent. He only had a couple of, just some of these men are built financially, they're built mentally and he's in therapy. Cool. All of the parameters, but this evenly yoked, I love how you phrased that. (laughs) I love it. Mm -hmm. This evenly yoked is important. And so he was feeling me and he mentioned one thing. He says, I need my woman to know first and foremost that uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he is the, you know, the Savior for our sins and uh, will go to church with me. And at that point, I was like, okay, cool. I was like, man, I really liked you, but you, me and you won't match. And he says, why is that? And I said, because I don't go to church. I said, I'm more spiritual and my connection is through a different way, not through church. No, no, you know, that's what you want. Go get you, go get you that person. And he wanted to work around that. And he says, but you won't go? And I said, no, I won't. I mean, if it's a celebration or something, but that's not my energy. And I said, you will be okay with me, but you will be happier with somebody who will sit on that front row with you and be there rocking it with you. And that's not me. Mm-hmm. Don't force it. That's a big deal. You said that's a big deal for you. So even trying to guide other people into, because it could be something that I'm not even going to that with them. Even trying to guide them into that process, like, look, we we gonna be good, but you gonna constantly be nagging me, like, you don't want to just come to church this time, and you know, I, I can see it already. Just go find you that woman; she's yeah. there. It's just not me. What do you think about compromise in relationships? Like, as you go forward and as you start to date again or get out there, what is the? Do you have any situations in which you will compromise? Because I know we have. I think. I think one. Let me just back up and say, I do agree that single women should date. I don't think they should date exclusively until they found the right one. Um, And I, so I do think that dating is very important. Um, And I also think that when you do meet that right one, he's not going to be a hundred percent of everything you would like. So where does the compromise come in? What does, what are your, because we heard your non-negotiables. We heard that. What are some of the things that you say? Okay. You know what? I may, I may meet him halfway on that. Is there anything that you can think of or any experiences you've had where you say, you know what, I met him halfway on this and it worked? Well, so um, I was engaged um, and um, he ended up, uh, we were both in a really horrific car accident. I made it out, he didn't. And so I guess I can use him as an example. So all of the major hitters, temperament, um, built emotionally, have been through therapy, financially able to provide for himself. All of the major, uh, physically, obviously, he had physical attraction. All of those were hits. Um, and we both were the same way with the spirituality. So those were hits. Um, one of the things I compromised on was he liked to drink. And I'm not a drinker. When I say he liked to drink, he liked to drink. Now, he wasn't an alcoholic, but he liked to drink to the point where some days he would want to come over and um, he would not be what I feel like driver, like be able to drive. And so we had a couple of conversations about if you are that inebriated, I don't want you behind the wheel of a car. And I don't want you coming over here because it's literally no point. You're just going to crash. But that was something that I could deal with because one, he wasn't an alcoholic, but it was just like, OK, he has so many other great qualities. I can deal with the drink. And then uh, one day when he did get to, in my opinion, too inebriated, I mentioned it to him, like, I don't like you like this. Um, and I said, I know you drunk before me, but this, like, 
at your level of responsibility because you have licenses that you have, you don't want to lose them um, being this way in this position. And at that point, he informed me that it was because he was drinking um, this certain type of liquor and he got rid of it. It was like, I'm not going to drink that. That's not good for my body. And I'm like, you shouldn't be throwing up at, at your age. Like, this is not cute. So that was a compromise. And that was a big one for me because I don't drink. Um, so things like that, things like that, I think could be worked on. But for me, yeah, you don't have to be 100% perfectly with a person. I'm not saying that. I just think some of these little things that we think are little when they're really to your core, like spirituality, the guy who wanted me to go to church was going to get that up. And it's like that. You think that's small. It's small now because, you know, you like me, but eventually a year from now, that's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. So I think when it comes to compromise is looking at what do you know intrinsically you're not changing on and that's very important or that can be a problem in the future versus, you know, like I said, he drank and oh, and me, he didn't really care for the fact that, um, Sometimes I like to hang out with my friends a lot. <laughs> so he was like, look, you got kids. I understand that, but I'm not coming second place to your friends. It's like, oh, okay, cool. We can work on that, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, the most important piece is that every situation, whether it has hurt you or, you know, made you feel some kind of way, the good thing is you keep going and you end up learning more about yourself in the end. And it sounds like your setback of just dealing with whatever you went through with your with your last husband, you know, uh, prepared you for better decision making, made you think about things more, made you make, you know, better choices and made you think about what's important to me. What do I care about? What do I need to know about that? I don't know before I get into this relationship. And that it sounds like that's the win of it all. That's the comeback is that mindset, that shift in that that type of energy. And, you know, I think for a lot of people out here who are listening, they probably struggle with even recognizing the win and letting go of something that hurts you. And there's always a win. Your peace of mind is going to always be priceless. The fact that you're not, you know, wondering what's happening, what's going on, or you sleep well at night knowing that, you know, hey, I'm surrounded by people that I can trust. That's always a win. That's always a comeback from any situation that's hurt you. Um, what advice would you give someone who's listening right now that may be constantly forgiving a cheater? or someone who's constantly uh, hurting them, what would you say to them? Well, so it's interesting because I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I, If I can be transparent, I would have still taken my ex back had he called me. So I understand. So the advice I would give to them is more so empathy. I understand where you are. And with my ex, if he had taken my phone calls, I mean, he did, but like in the sense of us getting back together, if he did not stand firm on that decision, I would have went back just like everybody else. So I was forced into greatness, I should say, or forced into realizing that, oh, wow, what am I doing? It wasn't like I, I made that decision on my own, like this is, this is not great. I was forced into that. And so my advice to them would be, sometimes you can't see it. And I understand and I love you. And the only thing I can say is that it is better on the other side, but only person that can see that is you. And you have to actually do it. If you don't, then you'll never see it. So I can tell Naya all day. I could tell, cause like I said, my whole circle, 
everybody is experiencing this. And I can tell them to say, I can tell them what's going to happen the next week. Like, oh, it's about a week. Cause I got one friend every 33 days, they break up, they break up. I'm like, oh, it's around that time y'all, y'all, y'all about to break up. You know, I, I tell them I predict it and they still go back. So it's really no advice I can give them. I just give them empathy. Like I understand I was where you were. I would have went back to my ex before and until you actually are either forced into this or you can actually see that it's better on the other side. This is this is the cycle. So I guess no advice. I just empathize. I'm not (laughs) perfect and I did the same thing. Yeah, I think I think sympathy, empathy is really good for someone who is hurting and, and not quite understanding what to do next, you know, but I think at some point. We all make the decision to go. My mother used to tell me, um, you know, you're going to get tired. And when you get tired, you're going to go. And that's just the bottom line. When you get tired, you're going to go. You know, and meanwhile, my dad's like, don't you cry over no dude that messes you over because he's going to call you when his dig get hard. You better not cry. Just move on. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, one thing I've learned about just pain in general is that in order for you to heal, you got to get you got to keep going. You got to keep going because on the other side, there is definitely healing and peace and joy to be had on the other side. So I appreciate you, Missy, for coming on and having this conversation with me. And man, I I applaud you, you know, for just being able to allow yourself to be used in that way to say I was forced to see things differently. A lot of times we don't realize that the universe has its way of pulling us out of tough situations that we otherwise would put ourselves back in. So I think that's really, really powerful. So I appreciate you so much. And um, yeah, I encourage you to just keep doing Thank what you you're so doing. Thank you so much for letting me um, share. I mean, I hope I wasn't rambling too much in that. No, you're fine. You're fine. No, I think my listeners will definitely appreciate this conversation. So you guys know where to find me. You can follow me on Instagram at author underscore Naya underscore B. And Miss Missy, thank you so much for coming on here and doing it with Naya B. You're welcome. Doing it, doing it.